0: Hello. Uh, I'm Michael Fromovitz, Associate Editor for the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer and co-editor with Dr. Alessandro Buda for the journal's upcoming March 2020 special edition on sentinel Nodes in Gynecologic Oncology. I'm sitting in for Dr. Pedro Ramirez today to discuss the lead article for that issue entitled Does Small-Volume Metastatic Lymph Node Disease Affect Long-Term Prognosis in Early Cervical Cancer? This paper was written by Dr. Andra Nika, Lillian Gian, Sarah Ferguson, and Alan Covens. We are fortunate today to have the paper's senior author, Al Covens, joining us for the podcast. Dr. Alan Covens is professor and chair of gynecologic oncology at the University of Toronto, as well as the chair of the Rare Tumor Committee in the Energy Oncology Group. In addition, uh, Al is well known and well respected as an expert in lymphatic mapping and central nodes in gynecological cancers and has published extensively on this subject. Good morning, Al. So, Al, before we talk about the article specifically, I'd like to discuss kind of general principles of sentinel nodes in gynecologic cancers. So to start, what are your thoughts on the current literature supporting sentinel lymph node biopsy? I'm sorry, sentinel lymph node biopsy only as part of surgery for women with early-stage cervix cancer, and do you feel there is enough data to support adoption? So
1: I believe that in those areas, centers and surgeons that have developed uh, good experience and expertise that the literature would support doing sentinel lymph node biopsy only in those patients. I think there obviously is a learning curve both for the surgeon and for the center in terms of uh, the systematic process and operationalizing performing sentinel lymph nodes and you obviously want to make sure that you're confident that your processes are as good as possible to make that false negative rate as low as possible. And we've you know, published a number of series over the years demonstrating very low, in fact, almost zero false negative rates as long as you follow correct algorithms. And in fact, we have identified about a two-and-a-half-fold increase in metastatic lymph nodes, and that's probably a result of one of three things, either identifying aberrant pathways that would not normally be looked at and lymph nodes removed without sentinel lymph nodes, ultra-staging, which probably contributes to a fair proportion, and finally, um, this little fact that You know, whenever you do a pelvic lymph node dissection, somebody else can always come back and find another one or two nodes. But if you find that the sentinel lymph node, for example, is that node in the obturator fossa that's right at the crotch of where the um, external and internal iliac uh, vessels uh, bifurcate, the obturator nerve goes under them, it's easy to sort of leave a piece of a node there or that whole node, but if you see that that's the sentinel lo- lymph node, you're going to make 100% certain you remove it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. So y- you mentioned that um, for centers that have c- have kind of the expertise and the experience uh, that you believe that uh, moving to a sentinel lymph node only uh, approach is, is appropriate, so for, for those surgeons who are listening to the podcast who are still doing complete lymphadenectomy uh for their patients with cervix cancer and, and want to start to gain experience and move uh to becoming a sentinel only uh surgeon what what advice do you have for them as far as how to y- kind of proceed through the learning curve and and how to assemble a team at their centers to 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 do this accurately Yeah so I think
1: that Um, most people now are using ICG, Um, but it's not ideal for uh, every patient. And so I think there's still a role for technetium, and there's probably still a role for isosulfan blue or patent blue. And so I think that you need to develop a team within nuclear medicine, within the operating room, and within pathology, as to how you're going to operationalize these processes, Um, particularly the uh, nuclear medicine, because that's probably the one that's going to involve the most other services and people. Um, You know, when are these patients going to get injected in their cervix? Who's going to inject them? Is it going to be the surgeon, or is it going to be somebody in nuclear medicine Are you going to do what we call a lymphocytogram before the operation? And there's advantages of doing it, which I'll explain in a bit. Um, Or are you just going to go ahead and do your surgery? Um, The patients that I think you need technetium or where technetium is really beneficial is morbidly obese patients where identifying um, color metric tracers like patent blue or ICG are problematic because of the transparency through tissue. Um, And also, patients that you do an open technique on. For ICG, we use a handheld SPI-FI probe, but that probe is so big that when you put that in the laparotomy incision, you, you, you have to use the monitor. And it's awkward to operate on the monitor at an open case. So I think there is a role for technetium. Um, I mentioned uh, the lymphoscintigram pre-op, and we um, do that uh, if you're talking about, for example, a cervix cancer or maybe even a uterine cancer, because if the lymphoscintigram only shows one side opacified, then we're going to inject the patient in the OR with patent blue or ICG or something else for that other side. Now, sometimes you will find it, anyways, intraoperatively, but you don't want to lose that window of opportunity.
0: So, y- in 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 um, moving from complete lymphadenectomy to sentinel node only, um, what 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 number of cases do you think a, a surgeon needs to do uh, where they do a sentinel node only, followed by a complete lymphadenectomy, to kind of confirm that they're they're finding the right central node? Uh, and uh, becoming proficient?
1: So I don't have a definitive number, but I would say somewhere between 20 to 35 cases should be enough, assuming that you should be finding bilateral sentinel nodes in about 80%, give or take, a bit of your population. If you're finding way less than that, then um, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, But, um, obviously, you need to look at what your um, false negative rate is. And, of course, with that small number, I would expect it to be maybe one case at most. Um, If you're finding more than that, then that's concerning.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I tell surgeons is uh, – Particularly if they if they're trying to pick this up on their own or from hearing or listening to podcasts or watching videos, is you know that they're very likely to have uh, melanoma surgeons and breast surgeons in their hospital who are obviously very familiar with these techniques, and they can always enlist them in in helping them uh, kind of iron out some of the some of the technological and uh, and technique issues in in doing so.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And the other thing is, there's so many people doing sentinel nodes in gyne oncology that they could probably liaise and e- even visit somebody for a day. I mean, typically, in an OR day for us, we're doing at least two to three cases, so
0: it's very easy to visit somebody. Yeah, so I, I think uh, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, both uh, Al and I would be happy to, to have you uh, come visit us if you want to see some sentinel node cases. So, Al, you, you mentioned briefly about um, about using the Spy Five for open cases, and and I don't want to get into the controversy over the the lack trial of of open versus minimally invasive approaches to rad hist. Uh, but has you, and again, you, you touched on this a little bit. But how how does your technique differ between a minimally invasive surgery versus an open surgery when you when you are doing uh, central nodes? So, if I am
1: doing open surgery on a. Normalish BMI patient, um, then I would probably use ICG and the Spi Fi. However, most of the time when we're doing open surgery, it's because the patient's morbidly obese and there's other factors, in which case, I personally like to use technetium um, as a backup because it's just so easy to find the hot node with a small little probe that's you know the size of your finger. It doesn't really obstruct your view. You can operate directly uh, without having to look at a screen. I, I find using the Spy fi for sentinel lymph nodes is rather awkward. I'm not, I'm not totally comfortable with it. Um, but in a skinny patient, it probably works and it's easy. The bigger patients, it's not so easy.
0: And and what about for people uh, out there who might not have access to a spy fi or that technology? Are you you recommending technesium only or technesium plus blue dye?
1: So uh, there are other options. They could, for example, um, use the endoscopic uh, equipment. In other words, inject the patient with ICG and connect up a laparoscope and use the laparoscope in the abdomen. It's a little awkward, but... Um, that laparoscope is much, much smaller than that head of the spi fi. So, you know, I think if you don't have the spi fi and you want to use ICG, you, that's a way to do it. Um, other than that, you're going to have to use either patent blue or technetium.
0: Great. What You know, I think most would agree that, that a frozen section should be performed if there's concern for metastatic disease grossly in, in sentinel or even, and obviously in non-sentinel lymph nodes um uh, but what are your what are your thoughts on frozen section for normal appearing sentinel nodes
1: Yeah, I think that that is a great question because I think uh the data would suggest that maybe our approach um needs to evolve At the present time, you know, we don't have a robust number of cases that we can say with certainty that patients do or do not need further therapy or do or do not need Um, a complete lymphadenectomy and maybe even going one chain up into the periordics. But um, our philosophy or our approach uh, to this day, and still remains this way, is we do do a frozen section of the sentinel lymph nodes, um, with the rationale being if it's positive, um, we will do a complete lymphadenectomy on that side and even go up one chain. And the rationale is that, uh, again, we don't have a lot of data. And so the more complete data you have postoperatively, when that patient comes back to clinic in terms of their tumor in their cervix and depth of invasion, and maybe the number of nodes, whether it's ITC or micrometastases, I think the better informed one can make uh, a recommendation with respect to adjuvant therapy. I mean, you could clearly see that the patient, for example, who on final pathology has one lymph node with ITC, and all the other lymph nodes that were removed uh, were negative, could be interpreted and looked upon very different than somebody who had one lymph node removed that maybe had ITC, maybe had a micrometastasis, no other lymph nodes were removed. It would create a little bit of uneasiness. Having said that, most of the literature would suggest that these are the only positive nodes in these patients. That the likelihood of finding another node with ITC or micrometastases is, and uh, a non-sentinel lymph node is very small. And then, of course, the question is, you know, do they even need any adjuvant therapy, anyways?
0: Right and obviously we'll we'll talk about that in a moment i will just say for, for counter just because uh you know as al mentioned there's there's no uh th- there's no standard for frozen versus non frozen and i think centers are fairly split you know our center at m d anderson we're we're not doing frozen sections on central nodes unless there's suspicion uh and just treating them adjuvantly based on uh, uh on whether or not the, the central node is positive or negative and and obviously um Uh, cervical factors such as uh, intermediate risk or setless criteria.
1: I mean, I think the main argument I hear for places that don't do frozen sections is they're worried about losing some of the specimen uh, that they would otherwise have for permanence and stains. Um, I'm sure for some places it also could be a resource question.
0: Yeah, I think that's what our pathologists have have told us, and the reason we don't do it is, uh, exactly as you said, that they're concerned that if we're looking for ITCs and micromets, we may lose we may lose those specimens in the frozen section um, processing and uh, and miss what may have been a positive node. But but then again, the significance of of that positive node with that small amount of disease that's lost on a frozen, I guess, is probably uh, debatable. Right. Well, let's let's turn now to, to your lead article uh, on isolated tumor cells and sentinel lymph nodes. Um, so again, this is the lead article for our March special edition in the International mm-hmm. Journal uh, that focuses solely on central nodes. Um, so c- can you summarize your findings a little bit on what you found in this paper?
1: So um, we found 19 patients who had either micrometastases or sentinel lymph nodes, or oh sorry, or ITC in their sentinel lymph nodes. And then we just wanted to evaluate how did these patients do in terms of outcomes? Now, this wasn't a uh, randomized study. This is just retrospective, um, and the study encompassed a 12-year time period. So, you know, at the beginning of the study, we had way less information than we have today, and there's always a, there's a number of different patients involved and a number of different investigators, and everybody has different ways of interpreting data and levels of comfort or discomfort. Essentially, I think what we found is similar to what's been described in endometrial cancer, particularly low-risk endometrial cancer. That is that it's the primary factors of the tumor in the uterus, in uterine cancers, or the cervix in our case, that really drive the prognosis. That is, the patients with otherwise very low-risk factors in the cervix, with one isolated ITC or micromet, did extremely well with or without therapy. Um, it didn't look like the therapy made any difference, and this would be similar to some of the other previous studies that have been published. Um, certainly, the Senegal study had, I think, 13 patients who were observed with ITCs with no recurrences.
0: So, uh, of the 19 patients with ITCs in, in your study, two had recurrence. Um, yes. can you Can you tell us a little bit about those two patients, and would you have done anything differently for those patients in retrospect?
1: Sure. So, one patient uh, was a radical trachelectomy who had ITC in one lymph node, um, and that patient uh, recurred in the lower uterus, segment or cervical stump. The endocervical margin that we aim for on radical trachelectomies is a minimum of five millimeters, and that's exactly what this patient had. Mm. So this patient recurred um, centrally in the stump, um, was subsequently treated with a uh, radical hysterectomy and uh, probably cured. I don't think the ITC in the sentinel lymph node had anything to do with this woman's recurrence.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that.
1: The second patient um, had three micrometastases in sentinel lymph nodes and one um, uh, metastatic parametrial lymph node as well as a uh, positive vaginal margin and typical SEDLIS criteria in terms of depth of invasion with CLS. This patient received adjuvant chemoradiation and still recurred on the sidewall. So I mean, I think it you know it's hard to argue what should or shouldn't have been done differently. This right. patient was treated as if she had positive nodes, right. and the patient still recurred. So I don't think you know it would have been a little more concerning if the patient didn't receive any adjuvant therapy and recurred on the sidewall. But here's one, a patient who had everything. Right, right, right.
0: So uh, as you mentioned, the study took place over 12 years with multiple different surgeons. um, And I'm assuming over those 12 years, your practice has changed during that time. So what at the University of Toronto, what are you doing now if you have a patient who has yeah, a low-risk cervical factors, you know, does not meet list criteria, and a, a central node with ITCs in it and mm-hmm. presumably no other metastatic disease. Are you are you treating them or are you watching them? We're watching them.
1: I, I mean, I think that in our general philosophy is to observe them. Um, the difficulty is we work with a lot of different radiation oncologists and some medical oncologists and, you know, patients have their own uh, interpretation and views, and they get a number of opinions. Um, but in general, our philosophy would be somebody like that we would observe
0: and just treat we based on on cervix factors.
1: correct. you know um there are a number a couple of patients who received chemotherapy only, and those were patients of mine who had radical trachelectomies for fertility preservation and then the finding of ITC or a micromet in um, a pelvic lymph node. And these are going back to the earlier part of the series when we really didn't know what the significance of those were. And based on some efficacious data of chemotherapy and cervix cancer, and that obviously wouldn't impair fertility, that was the approach that I took. In retrospect, the patients probably didn't require any therapy.
0: So I'll, I'll ask you one last question and something that's really been um, on my mind a lot as more and more papers come out uh, talking about kind of the at least clinical insignificance of a single isolated uh, a single node with isolated tumor cells is you know we we all really when we give our talks and we, we, we publish our papers we talk about the importance of ultra staging and immunohistochemistry to find these small volume disease so the, the question I'm beginning to, to, to contemplate is, if we're not going to treat ITCs, why should we look for them? Uh, and should we spend the extra time and money and effort to perform ultra-staging and, and immunohistochemistry uh, on sentinel nodes if, if if finding things aren't really going to change our recommendations or, or what we think is prognosis? I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that's a great uh, question, and uh, I think – Uh, maybe we shouldn't be lumping ITC with micrometastases. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's clear that ITC, in just about every cancer that I'm aware of that's been looked at, by itself doesn't add anything to the prognosis and can be safely ignored uh, apart from other local tumor factors. I'm not sure we have the same robust data to make the same conclusion about about micrometastases. And, you know, we just, we have tiny amounts of data in comparison to breast cancer, uh, where they've got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of patients. Um, And it's a bit of a difference, but I, I, I would still recommend we use ultra staging to identify the size of these metastases. And at some point in the future, we will have... Bigger data sets, more data. I mean, maybe our definitions of ITC and micrometastases in terms of size is wrong. Maybe they need to be adjusted. Um, So I think that while, yes, it does require a little extra work by pathology, um, I think until we're really comfortable that both of them are meaningless in terms of prognosis, I'd continue to favor doing them.
0: Great. That's great advice. All right, we're going to wrap up uh, this this podcast uh, edition from the International Journal. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Alan Coven's for uh, joining us today and and giving us his thoughts on central nodes and uh, describing a a little bit of their findings in their article. Al, it was was great talking to you, and, and thanks again for joining us today.